Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. It may be a sight for sore eyes, but how do we keep those eyes from being sore in the first place? Ophthalmology, more than meets the eye, tonight on call with the Prairie Duck, celebrating our 20th season. Hello and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Duck. I'm Dr. Andrew Ellsworth, tonight's Prairie Doc host. As we celebrate the 20 seasons of truthful, tested, and timely medical information. Continuing that tradition is our goal for tonight's discussion. Joining us tonight here in our studio on the South Dakota State University campus in Brookings are Dr. Elise Intfeld and Dr. Ryan Garretts. Both are with Ophthalmology Limited in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Elise, Ryan, thanks so much for coming tonight. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind, Dr. Invelt, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am born and raised in South Dakota. I grew up in Belfouche and then did undergrad here at South Dakota State Medical School at U University of South Dakota and did my specialty training with ophthalmology and fellowship in Detroit, Michigan. So are you more of a jackrabbit or more of a coyote? Oh, then? jackrabbit, yeah. 100%. Okay. But you're a coyote. <laughs> yeah, I'm the lone coyote. Dr. Garrett, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, also born and raised in South Dakota. I uh, grew up in Pierre. Uh, and we uh, went to college here at USD, done at USD, I should say, and medical school at USD, Texas, and then University of Michigan for additional training. So before coming back home. So. Great. And yeah. I'm an Augie Doggy myself. Yep. So, so we've got there we go. Everything We're covered. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to answering your questions about ophthalmology, the eyes. Call 1 888 376-6225. Send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. And to encourage your questions, those of you who ask a question during the first 20 minutes of tonight's program will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Doc gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of this program. Your question will remain anonymous but be sure to provide your name and contact information when you submit your questions so we can contact the winner. So, Elise, you are a glaucoma specialist. Correct. What is glaucoma? That's a very common question I get, and I'm always <laughs> amazed at how many patients haven't been educated about that. So there is a structure in the eye that's called the optic nerve. It basically is the cable that connects your eye to your brain. Now, what happens in glaucoma is that nerve is sick and you start losing some of the connections. So that those connections are what give you your vision. And as that you lose more and more connections, you're going to lose more and more vision. Um, typically, we associate glaucoma with having high pressure in the eye. It's not quite that black and white, unfortunately. You can have glaucoma and have normal pressures. You can actually have high pressures and not have glaucoma. So we're looking at, for evidence of that damage, and it's always important to try to prevent future damage because we cannot reverse it once it's happened. And do people, can, can a person tell if they have glaucoma, or how do you detect it? 
So the most common reason for uh, reason, way we detect it is just with routine eye screening, which is why that is important to get. We're looking at the optic nerve and seeing are there changes that look like there's been some thinning to it, or we're measuring those pressures like I mentioned. So most of the time, people are not going to be symptomatic from glaucoma until it gets to be very advanced. And as I mentioned, once that damage has happened, there's no way to reverse it. And what might they notice then if something's starting to happen? The, more, the most common way that glaucoma affects vision is it affects the peripheral vision. So the stuff that's way over to the side that you're not using day to day, that's why it kind of sneaks up on you. But as it encroaches, it can tunnel in. And that's when people are going to start noticing it when it starts getting into the more prime real estate of the vision. I'm sure we'll have some other questions on glaucoma mm -hmm. tonight. Uh, Ryan, you specialize in the retina. The retina. Mm -hmm. What's the retina so, and what are some of those diseases? Yeah, so it, the, the retina lines the inside of the back of the eye and it acts like the film in the camera. It's the part of the eye that actually senses the light. Um, and it, there are a number of different conditions that affect the retina. Most commonly, age-related macular degeneration. Also other conditions like diabetes can damage the retina. Uh, blockages in veins, uh, breaks, tears, detachments in the retina. Um, a little bit like the optic nerve, we only get one uh, and, and we can't replace it. So a lot of what we do is preventative care, trying to, to slow down disease processes to keep people seeing as well as they can for as long as possible. You know, one that I think of is macular degeneration. Sure. And you, with glaucoma, you talked about working down the peripheral. Mm -hmm. Macular degeneration starts in the middle. In the middle. They're, they're almost opposites of one another. Uh, typically, folks with macular degeneration notice subtle changes, loss of contrast, where, say, the newspaper might be a little harder to read, gray ink on gray paper as opposed to black on white pr type print. Uh, but it affects just the center part of the eyesight. Uh, but it's also the most valuable part, uh, reading vision, driving vision, recognizing faces, uh, uh, hobbies, handiwork, things like that can be affected as the center part of the vision declines. Uh, if there's not coexistent glaucoma, uh, people will still retain peripheral vision. Uh, macular degeneration almost never will take all the sight, but it can take that really high value center part of the eyesight away. Now, I think the biggest risk factor for macular degeneration is just living long enough. Yeah, I, I don't say age, just it's something that develops <laughs> over time, yeah. Uh, but increasing age, increasing, increasingly common. Is there anything you can do to help? ward yeah. that off. It, really the number one thing is to not smoke. Uh, that's an easy thing that we always kind of overlook. We focus on vitamin therapy, uh, injection therapies for the wet form of macular degeneration. But the single most important thing you can do is not smoke cigarettes. Uh, it quadruples your risk of developing severe vision loss from macular degeneration. Beyond that, eating a nice, healthy, well-balanced diet, plenty of green leafy vegetables, uh, having a dilated eye exam to see whether or not there's any early macular degeneration change there. Uh, those are the most important things initially. If there is macular degeneration present, there are some antioxidant vitamins called AREDS, A-R-E-D-S, AREDS-2 vitamins that can lower the chances of the macular degeneration worsening. Um, and those vitamins, I mean, you see commercials yep, and yep. so on, can they help prevent macular degeneration? It, or? A, a, again, a lot like glaucoma, you have the prevention team here. A, a lot like glaucoma, we can't rescue, we can't undo damage, but we can slow it down. And the purpose of those vitamins is to slow down the rate of pigment loss under the retina, slow down the rate of vision loss, and then lower the chances of macular degeneration, changing from dry, which is the most common form, into wet, which, though less common, is far more aggressive. The vitamins can be a 
thus, if you're diagnosed with macular degener degeneration, Correct. it's a might be a good idea, or is a good idea to take those vitamins. It, it is, but not if you already, if you don't have You don't need to take them if no. you don't have it. The, correct. And the, it. it's, it, it, you want to feel like you're doing something, but if you don't have macular degeneration, even if you have a family history, there's no value in the vitamin. Yeah. So. Yeah. And with the glaucoma, I'm sorry, was there anything we could do to prevent that either? Not really, unless it's just with your eye exams and making sure that your pressure is not elevated where it puts you at a higher risk. To just catch it early and catch get your early. annual exam. Yep. Very good. Uh, a woman age uh, from Watertown states, since having cataract surgery, I have not been completely satisfied with the results. My left eye is giving me more problems than the right eye. I often feel like there's a film over the eye and my eyes get so tired and hurt behind the eyes by the end of the day. I also have headaches and difficulty reading my tablet. Any suggestions? So I think this point does emphasize a few things, um, or this question. So looking through a natural lens and an artificial lens are different. So nothing we will do will give you the vision you had when you were 20 before the cataract developed, but there is a difference between the lens. We don't have a perfect intraocular lens. So some of that could just be from the fact it's an artificial lens. Other things that are more common after cataract surgery is we are, do have to make an incision on the eye in order to reach the cataract. And anytime you make an incision on the eye, you can disrupt kind of the eye's natural tear film. So you can be more prone to dry eye. Mm. And that is also just more common as you get older and is more common in these cold weather months as the humidity in the air is so low. So that, especially with it getting worse throughout the day, I would definitely think dry eye is a culprit. And so using artificial tears that are available over the counter can be really helpful. They don't last forever, granted, and it's not a fix, but um, we try to manage the symptoms best we can. Another thing that could be contributing to that is when the cataract comes out, there is a support system that was holding the cataract that we actually leave behind because that's exactly what we use to hold the new lens. It's pretty common, we're talking about 30% of people, where you can actually get a clouding of that uh, support system and that can almost make it seem like the cataract is coming back. Thankfully that is a very easy fix. It's an office procedure where we do dilate the eye. The dilation is the worst part about the whole thing, but we use a what laser. What is dilating the eye? What is that? Just to explain, some so people may have never heard Dilating the eye refers to making the black part of your eye, which is called the pupil. We basically relax that muscle with medicines, so it makes that pupil a lot bigger, just so we can get a good look inside of the eye. Um, but yeah, so if there is a clouding there, we can polish it off with some laser and basically make an opening, so that way you can look through the nice clear lens again. Great, yeah, I, I know that's helped a lot of people getting cataract mm -hmm. surgery. and, and uh, uh, one thing I had learned in, in medical school is that it could help decrease the risk of hip fracture. Yeah. Why would that be? So to help navigate, we use our peripheral vision as well, and it, it gives us an idea of where things are in space. And as vision declines, our ability to tell where things are at in space declines. And, and if the vision is poor for any reason, cataract especially, uh, it can be harder to find steps, curbs, cracks on the sidewalk. Uh, and that decreasing vision increases the risk of falls and therefore hip fractures. Yeah. So, and turn on the lights. And turn on the lights, night. that's right, exactly. Yeah. I have been told that I have cataracts. When is the time to do surgery? So certainly you wanna be bothered by your vision. I always tell my patients, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So we wanna see that there's a subjective complaint related to that cataract and looking at the eye that there's not something else going on to, you know, 
cause that complaint. Um, so a lot of times they talk about them being ripe. In my book, if you're having a visual complaint that I can blame on the cataract, they're ripe. Um, you do want to intervene before it's, the cataract gets very, very advanced just because the risks with surgery do get a little tougher when the cataract gets really, really bad. I mean, we're talking decades of this cataract should have been taken out a while ago. Um, but yeah, it, like I said, it comes down to when you're bothered by your vision. There's a common medication, Flomax or Tamsulosin, prescribed for enlarged prostates. Mm -hmm. And I understand that can complicate cataract surgery some. Is it something where you would recommend people not start the medication or is it you can still do the surgery? So I'm of the opinion where if you need it to make um, the, your, your urinary flow improved, I wouldn't want to delay that um, just for the cataract surgery. So, I mean, if you're going to be scheduled for cataract surgery in the next month, okay, maybe you could wait a month. But I don't think I should, you should delay that for years and years just because, oh, I was told I have cataracts, but I want to wait. Uh, the problem that it can cause during cataract surgery is it makes the dilation not want to stay as well. And the um, iris, which is the colored part of your eye, just tends to be a little more fluid. So that's where it can run into problems. But, uh, you know, that's a very, very common thing that we deal with. And thankfully, our technology allows us to handle that very okay. well. And most of the time, if we see that, we are already taking, you know, steps just with our surgical plan to try to minimize any risk. But said it's very common that it's I wouldn't let that sure. dissuade you from starting it. Uh, some questions about floaters. If you're as a floater in one eye, is it concern or a nuisance or just a nuisance? Uh, it, it, it can be both. Okay. Uh, the floaters are typically little opacities in the jelly in the back of the eye called the vitreous. It's a clear substance that the eye develops around and then it just serves as a space through which the light passes to get to the retina. All of us have the gel and all of us have the liquefaction of that gel and as those little kind of opacities develop in the gel, the light comes in, hits the opacities and casts shadows on the retina and that's what the floaters are. Uh, if we have a new or sudden shower of floaters that's caused to have a dilated eye exam, uh, that typically happens when the back surface of the gel peels away from the retina. That's called a vitreous separation. It happens in about 85% of all people. Very, very common. Most of the time, it's a nuisance with just a floater or two, maybe a flash of light. The reason we get concerned about it, though, is that rarely, as the gel separates, it can create a tear or a break in the retina, and that can lead to a retinal detachment, which is a very big deal. Uh, breaks and tears in the retina can be treated fairly easily with laser treatments that lower the risk of detachment, uh, but float, a, a big sudden shower of floaters, that's caused to have the eyes examined. Yeah. Okay. This person has large floaters that cause nausea and dizziness. Sure. Can this be treated? Y yes, they can. It, typically when these floaters develop, they're very symptomatic at first, very distracting, even causing motion sickness like it sounds like this patient has. Uh, almost all the time, they will gradually fade away. They'll settle away from the center part of the eyesight and become minimally symptomatic. But almost always isn't always. And, and if, the, if these symptoms persist for months, they're probably not going to get a lot better. And, and we do occasionally do surgical procedures to remove the gel and physically remove the floaters from the eye so that there's not constant movement and constant distraction and obscuration of the vision. This person also asked if meclizine would work to treat this. I, you know, it, it's on the, on the motion sickness axis of the, of the symptoms, it, it might mitigate some of the nausea, but it's not gonna change the, the movement in the site. You might try Benadryl as another kind of intermediary. The problem is they're both fairly sedating. 
Uh, so driving a car is not a good idea. Making you know really important decisions not a great idea if you're sedated. So uh, to mitigate some of the nausea, maybe. Uh, but probably best to have a dilated eye exam first and then talk about options with, with your, eye provider, your eye care provider. Very good. A common condition with our vision, as we've talked about already, is cataracts. But fixing the problem is not as hard as people may think. Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt talks with an ophthalmologist and patient about the procedure. Dr. Kenneth Knudsen says most cataract patients are 50 years and older the condition causes a cloudy lens in the eye. As we age, the proteins in the lens just get kind of yellow and hazy. The lens actually sits behind the iris and pupil, so it's not on the surface of the eye. Some people uh, think that it's maybe a surface thing that you can peel off, but uh, it's the lens inside the eye, so when you're doing surgery, you have to go inside the eye to remove it. It's a procedure, Dr. Knudsen says, is easy and only takes about 10 minutes. They normally perform surgery for both eyes one week apart. Not too bad to go through. When we're done with the surgery, the patient gets taken back to their starting room and uh, is watched by the nurses to make sure they feel okay before they go home. Uh, then they are checked the next day back in clinic for a quick uh, one-day uh, post-op check. If everything looks good, they can pretty much resume their normal activities. So it doesn't lay them up a whole lot either. There's frequent follow-up after surgery to make sure everything is healing properly. And we'll usually give the eye three to four weeks to heal up and stabilize before checking their uh, vision and to see if they need a little bit of glasses power. Lowell Dorn had cataract surgery in December. This very gradually progressed and, and when I really noticed it was I couldn't read the, the uh, uh, TV guide from the couch. Now that's, that's serious when I have to get off the couch and that's pretty serious. So, so then I thought it, it was time to get checked out. In his evaluation, doctors determined he had cataracts which would affect when he could drive. He decided to have the procedure done no discomfort at all and not like others or there's no stitches or nothing like that and, and it doesn't take long. I think total time from when I got to the hospital to when I was leaving wasn't much over an hour probably. He recommends people don't wait as long as he did to get the surgery done. You sure wouldn't put it off because your, your vision just deteriorates with time I think with that. Dr. Knudsen lists three factors that help determine when it's time for cataract surgery. One is what is the person's vision on the chart. Number two, what does it look like on exam? How foggy is it? But the third and most important factor is, is it affecting the person? Uh, one should never be pushed into surgery. It's always up to the patient. If they feel they're ready and everything else looks appropriate, we'll do it. If they're not uh, completely sure they need it, it's usually okay to observe things for a while too. So no pressure with cataract surgery. When, it's, uh, when the patient feels ready, then we'll do it. I'm so glad Lo uh, agreed to be on there with me. He, he was in the patient room uh, uh, talking about how happy he was with his cataract surgery, and I was like, do you want to be on the show? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one concern often is the cost of the procedure. Uh, can you speak to that? 
So cataract surgery is covered by insurance. Now we hear a lot of the cost, it kind of comes into the upgrades that are available and it's mainly talking about the intraocular lens that we correct the vision for. Now again, there's no such thing as a perfect intraocular lens, but we do have lenses that can actually build in a lot of the glasses prescription. So we have some lenses that can actually correct astigmatism. We have some lenses that are like it's building a bifocal into your eye. Now we are, there's criteria you have to meet in order to be qualified for one of those lenses, but that's where you start talking about the cost. Sure. The standard lens that I actually think gives you great vision and I definitely the most common lens that is used is covered as part of the insurance package. It's great with Medicare. Correct. With that's Medicare. Medicare. That's yep. great. Um, I, we have a video that Dr. Idy, your partner, shared with us on uh, cataract surgery. So we could probably start showing that and uh, talk through that a little bit, just to kind of show people what happens. Um, so here we do have to gain access to the cataract. So um, we're making a couple incisions on the eye. Does this um, hurt? Actually, no, because the eye is anesthetized with a bunch of drops, and we do give a little sedation through an IV. Um, and then when we gain access to that cataract, we have to break it up into kind of smaller pieces in order to make them a little more manageable. So that's exactly what we're doing here. We're kind of making a cross in it in order to get it divided into four smaller pieces. And so yeah, it's an ultrasound machine. Um, and you're just taking apart the, yeah. the natural lens. Exactly. And just, and taking it out. And then you literally just kind of suck that up. And then um, that's the majority of the cataract, the oldest part of the cataract. There is a lighter part of the cataract that um, we'll be removing here once this big chunk comes out. And this literally takes how long? Um, you know, I say it takes as long as it needs to because sure. you want to make sure you're doing safe surgery. But you know, for me, my average time's probably around eight minutes, but again, it depends on how bad the cataract is. Wow. So here's that intraocular lens that's going in. So it folds up, which is nice since we can fit it through that small little incision. It's only 2.4 millimeters uh, big. But it just then unfolds itself. Just like, unfolds itself. Like a mattress you get in the mail or something. Exactly. <laughs> and you can see there, it sits right nicely in the center um, with the design of how these lenses are. Wow. Wow. That's great. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to live in this age where we can do that mm -hmm. to help people. Uh, we have a lot of questions. Um, so we'll just keep going down here. Um, I have a freckle on my eye. Is that uh, common? Yes. I, I, I think that's probably, they're probably referring to things in the back of the eye. There are two different types of pigmented spots. Uh, there's what's called a nevus, which is more like a mole. And then there's something called a congenital hypertrophy of the retinal pigment epithelium. We call them chirpies. And those are totally flat and have virtually no malignant potential. Uh, the nevi or the moles in the back of the eye rarely can change from a nevus to what's called a choroidal melanoma, hmm. which, which is obviously a problem. It's a malignancy on the inside of the eye. Uh, the individual risk of a, of a nevi changing to a melanoma is really very low, one in several thousand, but there are a number of features that we use to kind of gauge the, the propensity with which one of these lesions would change. So, yeah, yeah typically they mean in the back of the eye. Yep. Uh, this person, uh, after she reads this, her eyes get blurry and out of focus. Is there a reason for this? So, one of the, I mean, you always want to make sure you're wearing the right prescription and you're not straining your eyes, so I always make sure to start with that. 
but um, dry eye is another very common reason yeah. why it'll be clear at first. And we just tend not to blink as much when we're really fixating on using the computer or reading. So your eyes do dry out more. I mean, I can tell just with the lights, my eyes are more dry right now and I'm catching myself blinking a lot more. Mm. So that's why I encourage taking breaks and using artificial tears. So if someone's like, oh, maybe I'll see if some over-the-counter drops help, something like natural tears mm -hmm. or... Yep. Whatever, how many times a day should we use those? So you can use them as often as you need. If you're using them more than, I would say, four times a day, they do make preservative-free options. That can be great, just so you're not potentially adding more harmful um, preservatives that could irritate your eye. But when it comes to which brand, I mean, it's Coke versus Pepsi. Gotcha. It comes down to personal preference. Sure. Very good. A woman from Yankton is watching on Facebook. She had LASIK eye surgery 10 years ago. Her reading vision is now changing. Can she have this surgery again? Yeah, she certainly can have it repeated. Uh, if she's had surgery 10 years ago, by, by definition, she's gotta be pushing 30 or so right in there, because you can't do it in someone who's under 18 years of age. One of the things that happens over time is our, our lens on the inside of the eye loses the ability to change shape, mm -hmm. uh, and that may be one of the things that's happening in this person's case where the distance vision might be very, very good, but everything up close becomes increasingly blurry. That's why we start putting bifocals in, in eyeglasses. So yes, surgery can, can partially help with that. Uh, so she might just need a, a pair of reading glasses to help up close too. Sure, sure. Uh, an emailer asked, my eyes are dry since having COVID. I went to the eye doctor and he put plugs in. My pressures are also super high and we were doing further testing. My vision continues to get blurry. I'm 35 and I feel I'm so young for this to happen. Any advice? Well, I, I immediately, being a glaucoma specialist, the pressure was what yeah. immediately concerned me. And you know, super high is subjective. So my definition of super high might be different, but um, I mean, definitely going through with that follow-up testing is very important. And especially if the pressure is high enough, sometimes we'll treat that even if you don't have glaucoma, again, trying to lower that risk. The punctal plugs, um, just try to keep more surface, more tears on on the surface is like putting a stopper in your drain when you want to do dishes, keep more liquid there. I have heard that with some COVID, just we know COVID can irritate the surface of the eye and cause some inflammation there. So that might be what is actually going on. Do those plugs, how long do they last? So there's different types of plugs. Um, there are some that are non-dissolvable. They can stay in there forever. The trick is getting them to stay in. They can be tricky to size. And some patients, they just won't stay in. And if they really are benefiting, sometimes we'll even do a procedure to kind of block it off more with like a surgical procedure that's in the office. This person asks, uh, how is double vision corrected? Sure. So double vision will typically happen because there's an, a misalignment of the eyes. That's the most common way, uh, common reason for double vision. Uh, double vision can be corrected surgically uh, if, if the, the deviation or the misalignment of the eyes is stable, uh, where we can move the muscles to get the eyes to line up. Uh, Non-surgically, you can put a, a prism in a glasses lens to move the entire image and try to get things to line back up. Uh, double vision can also be caused from opacities in the natural lens, like cataract, where you can mm -hmm. have kind of a ghosting of images. Uh, rarely you can have scar tissue on the surface of the retina that can partially drag the retina, causing a splitting of the image. So lots of different reasons for double vision, but there are lots of, uh, lots of different things that can be done to try to reduce the symptoms too. Uh, this person asks, emailer asks, I have a white puffy bag above my eye. 
any ideas what it is? Now they said a white puffy bag above mm. the eye. So I'm kind of guessing um, you can, I've seen that happen in the corner here, mm. and that can actually be some herniated fat, that we have fat that cushions our eye, and as everything kind of stretches out with age, sometimes the, can, uh, the tissue holding that back kind of pulls forward, that can cause that. It also could even just be some cholesterol that's yeah. kind of deposited there. Yeah. Not, um, you know, it never hurts to get somebody to look at it, but just hearing that, there's a lot of reassuring, not dangerous things that that could be. Yeah. What would cause a retina burn from cataract surgery? So you see that? A, a retinal burn. So I, I think, and again, this is a little bit of conjecture on my part. Typically, there wouldn't be a burn to the retina, but you can have a burn to the corneal wound. Uh, at the time of cataract surgery, again, uh, Dr. Entbelt had discussed how the probe has an ultrasound uh, component to it that'll vibrate and it'll help liquefy the cataract. And because of some of that ultrasound energy, sometimes heat can be transferred to the, the little incision and that can cause the tissue to change in a way that it makes it a little harder to get that, that wound to close up. So my suspicion is they may be referring to a corneal burn, a wound burn at the time of cataract surgery rather than a mm -hmm. retinal burn. Uh, the only other retinal uh, Immediate retinal complication from cataract surgery could be maybe some injury from excessive light at the time of surgery. That would be something that we'd simply have to dilate the eye and look. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of those more and more lasers, laser pointers. Yeah. pointers. <laughs> yeah. Are you seeing injuries because uh, of those? We, we've seen injuries from those for years. Uh, and, and it's not so much the inadvertent, uh, somebody giving a presentation sweeping across the audience. It's more of a sustained looking right at the laser that really increases the chances of having retinal damage and, from the laser energy. It's and, not correctable either. And don't stare at the sun either. Don't, right. exactly. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. Gentleman from Sioux Falls watching on Facebook states he has a, had a detached retina in the past and it was repaired. What are the chances it might happen again? So in, in that same eye, if it's been successfully repaired and you're more than about three to four months or so out, the chance is less than a percent, maybe a half a percent or so. So once you get through that first few months following retinal detachment repair, the risk of that same eye developing a detachment again is exceedingly low. Uh, the thing that I try to impress upon my patients when we fix a detachment in one eye is that the fellow eye has a fairly high risk, probably 15% sure. or more chance of having breaks, tears, or detachments. So lots of floaters, arc-like flashes of light off to the side, or any changes in peripheral vision, those, need, those are urgent things that need to be looked at. During the repair, do they still have to stay oh, on yes. their side? Yeah, or? yeah they, I, one of the things that we talk about when we're making a diagnosis of detachment and we're talking about surgical repair is that when you talk to folks a year down the road that have had a detachment repaired, nobody talks about the surgery, everybody talks about the recovery. It's a, it's a difficult recovery. We float the retina back in place with a bubble and that we rely on the patient to position their head properly to position the bubble over the breaks and tears. That can mean laying on one side or the other for 50 minutes out of every hour for seven to 10 days, sometimes even looking straight down at the floor uh, constantly for seven to 10 days to get the retina to heal in place. So it's a, it's a challenging recovery, generally not a lot of pain or discomfort, usually, uh, but the, the positioning is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. On a completely unrelated note, there's still COVID going on. Sure. And we want to give our viewers an update on some of the treatments. So um, there's a, a new weapon in our arsenal to help fight the disease. It's called Paxlovid and is now available to some high-risk patients who test positive for the virus. Clinical pharmacist Dr. Emily Van Kloppenberg of Avera Medical Group Brookings explains this therapy to Prairie Doc reporter Esther Michael. 
with the new COVID oral antivirals, um, being a pharmacist and a medication expert, we, I was asked to step in to help out with these medications. There are a lot of drug drug interactions that come with them and a very specific patient population qualify for these medications. Um, and just because of that uh, um, further attention to details that's needed for them, I, I volunteer to step up and help out with it and the education of our providers and our patients. Paxlovid has been hailed as a potential game changer in the fight against COVID-19. The new antiviral medication reduces the risk of COVID hospitalization or death by 89%. Since clinics have limited supplies, high-risk patients are the first to receive them. For use of these medications, the patient has to start taking them within five days of symptom onset and a positive COVID test. So there's very strict parameters of when we can use it. So overall, the equation is symptom onset within five days, a positive COVID test, and then a high risk factor. These medications are not um, to be used for patients who have a severe COVID illness. So where they are hospitalized or they need um, supplemental oxygen, this is specifically for patients who have mild to moderate disease that we want to prevent from progressing to severe COVID infection, which would be hospitalization. With our patients who qualify for Paxlovid, some of the resistance that we've received from do I really need this medication is that um, they keep saying that I only have cold-like symptoms. It's pretty mild. Um, the one thing that we don't know with COVID is when it may become severe. It might be after that five-day window of when we can give Paxlovid. So I've been really encouraging our patients who qualify for it to take it to prevent that severe progression. Um, I've had several anecdotal instances of patients where their spouse had gotten sick, they gotten a little bit better, and then COVID came back a little bit beyond that five-day, maybe that seven-day window, and then they felt really horrible at that point. So I use that as a motivator to, this would be a good reason to take Paxlovid in advance to help curve that and help prevent that progression to severe disease. While COVID treatments have come a long way since the start of the pandemic, the best prevention is still vaccination. It's important to be vaccinated because it does prevent serious disease in the individuals as well as spread throughout our community. Well, that's exciting news for the high-risk COVID patient that we have some some treatment options now. Um, you know, just a reminder for everyone to, that there's still cases are decreasing of COVID, but there's still plenty of cases around, and certainly still plenty of hospitalizations. And so we still want to be careful. And there's plenty of influenza out there too. And it's not quite too late to get a flu shot. Uh, in fact, sometimes since we had an earlier wave of influenza, there could be a second one later. So I think it's still a good idea. Um, speaking of COVID and eyes, have you guys seen uh, any anything because of COVID-19 related with the eye? Well, we are, I was alluding a little to some of the inflammation that can be on the eye, and that has definitely been described in the literature, causing kind of a pink eye appearance. Uh, that's been the biggest thing I've heard. Yep. So, some rare reports of, of inflammation. Um, from a retinal perspective, not a lot. Uh, we've been fortunate in that regard so far. So. With there is especially when there was a lot of mask wearing going on, I saw a few more styes, and I think it's because of 
touching sure. your eye. Touching, why, yeah. why does that cause that? How, how does a sty happen you know, anyway? St sties are actually more of a sterile inflammatory reaction. They're generally not an infection per se. Uh, there's a row of oil glands on the edge of the eyelid and that those oil glands secrete the oils onto the surface of the tear film, kind of like an oil slick, to prevent and slow down evaporation of the tears. And in all of us, those over time, those oil glands will tend to get plugged. And if we have a little oil gland that gets plugged, there's no outflow of the oil, but the gland still makes the oil and it mm. collects and, it, and it's almost like a little cyst in there. Eventually the gland will rupture and that, that oil is very inflammatory. And that, that's the basic reason why most styes form. Uh, best treatment form is to hot pack the eyelid. Uh, use a wash rag or a, one of those microwavable rice bags uh, and apply some heat to the eye a couple of minutes twice a day and that'll usually settle things down. And they don't so. need antibiotics no, usually? No, no, it's a sterile inflammatory reaction. Yep. We've got a one, wonderful viewers sending in many questions. We'll see what we can get covered here. Uh, what are the best, the qualities of the best sunglasses to use? Do colors of lenses, green, blue, amber, gray matter? Uh, and when should they be used? So that would be a much better question for an optical shop because they're the ones dealing with a lot of the lens choices. I do know, you know, for example, yellow lenses are trying to cut down on glare, mm -hmm. but that is something I would encourage you to talk to somebody at an optical shop. They'd be able to go through a little bit more right, for really, you. In any of the lenses that you're going to wear are going to block UV light, yeah. uh, and and it's not so much from a retinal perspective that like macular degeneration or prevention, uh, UVL melanoma ri risk reduction. It's cutting down on the UV exposure to the surface of the eye, lowering the chances of having skin cancers develop on the eyelid or surface of the eye. That's the most important thing that sunglasses wear will do. Certain uh, colors of the lenses might help with contrast, particularly the yellow. Uh, some of our macular degeneration patients might benefit from some of that yellow filtration. Hmm. It'll enhance the contrast and it might make the vision feel a little bit better. Uh, but, but from an absolute necessity perspective, it, it's not a necessity to wear, uh, but always a good idea to protect from the UV rays. Yeah, interesting question. Uh, this emailer asks, what is the cause of sudden onset drusens? Yeah, so what is drusen? Dr uh, drusen, it's German for bump, okay? So the Germans were the first folks to grind lenses that were good enough for us to see in the back of the eye, so they get to name these things. Uh, drusen are little deposits that develop underneath the retina uh, within these pigment cells beneath the retina. They're classically associated with age-related macular degeneration. Uh, you can have drusen but not have age-related macular degeneration, hmm. uh, depending on how many drusen are there, the size and the particular shape and characteristics of them. That's when we start getting a little bit more worried about it. But these things typically come up out of the blue. There's nothing that a patient does to cause them to present. Yeah. Um, going back to some cataract surgery, an emailer asked, I recently had cataract surgery. I still have some floaters and my perception is getting worse. Any suggestions? So as Dr. Garrett's already explained, the floaters are in the back of the eye in that jelly. So when we're taking the cataract out, we're not going into that space yeah. at all. In fact, if we go into that space, that means something wrong happened in the cataract surgery. So that's where, um, that's not the goal of the surgery. So yes, we could ex still see floaters. And since you're getting more light into the eye, um, hmm. being the cataract is out, you may notice them more. But again, the brain can take some time where it can readapt, where they become less noticeable over time. What would cause recurrent corneal laceration? What's the cornea to begin with? 
So the cornea refers to the clear window that's on front of the eye, basically covers where the iris, the colored part of the eye is. So I think they were probably alluding to an erosion. A laceration is like an actual cut. Um, so erosions can happen if you have certain predisposing conditions with the eye, like certain corneal dystrophies, or even if you've had a fingernail injury to the eye that scraped off the, uh, caused the, a scratch on the eye, sometimes it's hard for that skin to really stick well. But the most common reason is dryness. And actually when you wake up, you'll kind of, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid, the eyes dry mm. where the eyelid kind of gets stuck under the cornea. So then when you lift the eyelid, it then tears and causes an erosion. So keeping the eye lubricated, especially before bed, is one of the best ways to try to prevent them. And don't rub your eyes. And don't rub your eyes. Ceiling fans in the room yep. uh, tend to dry mm. the eye out quite a bit more too. Sure. Yeah, and of course, wearing eye protection if you're welding yeah. or oh, any of those, anyway. yes. Yep. Chopping wood. Please. Yep, indeed, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we want you guys to sleep and not have to get up in the it middle of the night here. Nice. Or, it's nice, oh, okay. we can avoid it. Sure, sure. Uh, this person asks if can, you know, going back, it's similar to what we said before, really quick answer, can laser treatment cause macular degeneration or any other eye problems? So, uh, no, the la laser you know, if we're thinking LASIK, I yeah, suppose. So, yeah. yeah, a couple of different types of lasers. There are lasers to lower the pressure, LASIK to correct refractive error or focusing problems, uh, retinal lasers that we use to treat diabetes. They won't induce macular degeneration. Macular degeneration will tend to develop um, for a number of different reasons, inflammatory problems, genetic issues, uh, blood vessel disease risk factors, all those things can increase the chances of macular degeneration developing. But laser won't bring it on specifically. Um, this uh, emailer states that the vision is good um, except for reading fine print. Mm -hmm. He has cheater glasses but doesn't think this yep. is a sufficient fix. What type of permanent treatment options are available and does health or vision insurance cover these treatments? So you certainly want to get to what is going on. So making sure you have an eye exam to look for evidence of cataract, look for evidence of macular degeneration or other types of conditions that can affect the quality of vision is important. Another thing that can happen, um, certainly making sure you have the right prescription because some people have astigmatism, they're trying to get by with cheaters, but it's not sufficient because you can't correct astigmatism with the over-counter cheaters. And part of it is that loss of contrast sensitivity. I mean, some of that does happen as we get older. And there's unfortunately no way to really correct that. I can't, you can't fix an aging retina, but we certainly want to make sure there's not something there that we could correct. Um, th this person is asking about what a vitrectomy is. Now we talked about the vitreous, the mm -hmm. gel in the eye, yeah. and that if there's floaters, if really bad, sometimes you can sure. cut that out. I don't know, maybe that's what that is. Yeah, that, that's exactly what that is. And the ectomy is just the removal of, appendectomy, mm -hmm. removal of the appendix, vitrectomy, removal of the vitreous. So we can do vitrectomy to remove floaters and debris from the inside of the eye. Typically, we're doing a vitrectomy to accomplish some other surgical goal, like reattaching a retina, removing blood, uh, uh, removing blood vessels, say from a patient with advanced diabetic retinopathy or scar tissue. So vitrectomy, is, we do it very commonly. Uh, it can be done for a lot of different reasons depending on the particular problem. Um, this uh, person says their depth perception struggles when they're driving. Should I be concerned? I think, you know, certainly good vision is very important for driving, which is exactly why each state has its own standards as far as what you have to meet in order to qualify for a driver's license. Um, when it comes to driving, certainly, yes, you want to make sure, again, good eye exam to make sure there's not a problem. The depth perception, um, 
I mean, some of that could just be needing new glasses or you have one cataract in one eye, not the other. Cataracts don't always grow symmetrically. So watching that, but at the end of the day, I always say you have to feel comfortable driving. I have a lot of patients that they qualify for a driver's test, but I say you have to feel comfortable because the last thing you want to do is get into an accident because you didn't, couldn't see well and hurt yourself or someone else. We've talked about dry eyes a little bit here, but this person was wondering what causes chronic dry eyes. We talked about, of course, cold weather and heaters and fans. Mm -hmm. Was there any other particular So a reasons? lot of that does come down to age. As yeah. I mentioned, age is more common, but there are some medical problems that can actually dry the eye out as well, especially some of the rheumatologic, like rheumatoid arthritis is mm -hmm. notorious mm -hmm. for causing dry eye, and it's a little etiology or a different etiology that can actually be more difficult to treat. Um, certain medications certainly can cause the uh, drying out of the eyes. So that's where if you can identify the culprit, yes, some of those medications, there's always give and take with any medication you take. Um, yeah. But if you can potentially get off some of those medications and see if those symptoms improve, great. Like diuretics, water pills, I'm diuretics, sure. Diuretics, um, yeah. yes, several. Anticholinergics. Yeah. 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 Everything comes yep, it's a balance. It's a balance, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Risk with everything you do. Yep. Uh, this person says, on occasion I have episodes in one or both eyes where I lose a sight in my eye and is replaced what looks like bright, multicolored, oily film where I can't focus. Usually doesn't last more than half an hour. Yep. What causes this? So if, if, if you Google migraine aura, it's, it's exactly yeah. that definition. <laughs> yeah. So it, there's a, the, the retina and the brain is all electrical tissue and we can have unusual um, electrical patterns in those tissues that can give us these crescents or kind of kidney bean shaped areas, typically with zigzagging lights, patterns. Uh, some people describe it as chicken wire or lightning streaks. Usually lasts anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes or so, but the vision comes right back. Um, oftentimes it can be associated with, he with headache, but not always. Uh, so this classic for migraine aura, or another yeah. ocular migraine. Or ocular migraine is another about way. that yep. too. Exactly. So sure. Yeah. yeah. When is surgery on, on an epiretinal membrane necessary, sure. and what kind of results yeah. are expected? Yeah. So uh, just like counseling for cataract surgery, it's important to understand what the problem is and what the goals are. Uh, Epiretinal membranes are, are it's a, like a little film on the inner surface of the, of the retina. They're very common, 20% of the population has them. The only reason we would consider surgery is if the patient was having problems with their eyesight, blur, distortion, object size discrepancy, things looking larger from one eye than the other. Surgery can be a good choice for those folks. Um, the goal is to improve the vision. Uh, when we remo remove these scar tissue membranes from the inner surface of the retina, um, I, I heard a great analogy from one of my partners where if you crumple up a piece of paper uh, and that's the membrane pulling on the retina causing some distortion, you can flatten the piece of paper and make it better but there's always a little bit of irregularity that persists. So goals for, for uh, vision after membrane surgery are improvement, better clarity, less distortion, less size discrepancy but generally not perfection of the vision. So improvements achievable, perfection usually isn't. Yeah. Yeah. This person asked about, was told they have lattice degeneration. Sure. Do they need to monitor it annually with a specialist? So probably not a specialist, but as long as, as you're seeing a good uh, a local eye doctor, an optometrist or an ophthalmologist who can do a dilated eye exam. Lattice degeneration is a thinning of the peripheral retina. About 10 to 15% of the population has it. Uh, it. It's not macular degeneration. It doesn't affect the center vision, but it increases the chances of having breaks 
or tears on the retina and therefore detachment of the retina. You said 10%. To, oh, so the population has lattice, correct. Wow, it's very, okay. very common. Increasingly yeah. common if you're more nearsighted. Um, but most people with lattice degeneration never have a problem. The chances of having a break tear or detachment if you have lattice is about 1 or 2% on the high end. So most people with lattice are going to do just fine. But it's a good idea to have a dilated eye exam. Uh, this person said, 10 days ago, I suddenly had double vision horizontally. I've had some tests, but still have the problem. Wondering what could have caused this. Well, when I hear a sudden vision uh, doubling, big thing you want to make sure of is that there's not a neurologic process going on. So like a stroke can sometimes sure. cause that. So that's where we'll actually look and see, are the eyes moving appropriately? Are all the muscles firing correctly? Because depending on which nerve may be affected, you might find like, oh, this eye actually won't move out anymore because that nerve happened. And certainly if it can't move there, that eye tends to be pulled in and it's very common to have double vision. So a lot of times we want to make sure we have a reason for it. Most of the time it's from like a little stroke the blood flow got interrupted those do tend to resolve but we're talking it can take a few months in order for them to mm. resolve yeah well I'm so sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions tonight <laughs> but uh, in the last 10 seconds words of advice I, I would say make sure to get a good dilated eye exam everybody 50 years and older should have a dilated eye exam it's a great way to screen for any problems you may have cataract coronal issues glaucoma you name it mm -hmm. very good thank you thanks again and now the winner of our drawing is Joan from Howard, or Joanne from Howard. Thank you, Joanne, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be back after this. Did the groundhog see his shadow this year? Every year on February 2nd, people gather in the small town of Punxsutawney in western Pennsylvania to observe the annual Groundhog Day ceremony. If the groundhog does see his shadow, he may retreat to his den and winter will last another six weeks. If he does not see his shadow, spring may arrive early. This tradition is nearly 140 years old. Organizers claim for the sake of folklore that the original groundhog, Puxatani Phil, is still alive today, getting his longevity from drinking the elixir of life. But obviously, different groundhogs have been used through the years. The average lifespan of groundhog is only two or three years in the wild and up to 14 years in captivity, and besides, it's inevitable that the groundhog's eyesight would become less dependable as years go by. But I digress. Like Puxatani Phil, some of us humans often see shadows in our vision. Eye floaters can be spots or shadows in our vision from a variety of causes. They often drift about when we move our eyes and then dart away if we try to look at them, like a groundhog scurrying back to his burrow. Most floaters are caused by age-related changes that occur as the vitreous, the jelly-like substance inside our eyes, becomes more liquid. Microscopic fibers within the vitreous clump up and cast tiny shadows on our retina, 
which we see as floaters. Floaters are most visible when looking at a plain, bright background like a white wall. They may appear as dark specks or clear strings. In general, floaters are not harmful and are nothing to worry about. However, a sudden increase in floaters may signal something worrisome, especially if you notice flashes of light or loss of peripheral vision. This may signal a retinal tear, a painless condition that requires prompt treatment to help save your vision. As we age and the vitreous of the eye liquefies, it may sag and tug on the retina with enough force to tear it. Without treatment, the retinal tear may lead to a retinal detachment when fluid accumulates behind the retina and separates it from the back of the eye. Untreated, this can result in permanent vision loss. There are many reasons to go to the eye doctor once or twice per year for routine checkups to help maintain our vision. However, if you see a sudden increase in shadows, floaters, lights, or darkness of any side or sides in your vision, it's time to leave your den and scurry back to the eye doctor regardless of the season. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Elise Intveld and Dr. Ryan Garretts for volunteering your time to help us learn more about the many aspects of ophthalmology. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for the Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us here at On Call with Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season of truthful, tested, and timely medical information, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. an alphabet soup of professions in healthcare: RN, LPN, MD, DO, PA, and then there are hospitalists. Who's who in healthcare? Next time on call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. Truthful, tested, and timely medical information for 20 seasons from the Prairie Doc. Hello, my name is Dave Hank, and I serve on the board of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 charity that secures funding for Prairie Doc programming. This year we celebrate 20 seasons of dedication beginning with our founder, the late Dr. Rick Holm, and continuing today with our four Prairie Docs and all who volunteer their time to answer important health questions each week. Significant funding is required to produce and distribute our video, radio, and print programs throughout the region. Your financial support will help us continue the Prairie Doc legacy. On behalf of the Healing Words Foundation Board, I ask you to join us in our mission. Please go to prairiedoc.org and click on the donate button today. Thank you. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by
Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Dock on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Dock as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flanger District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftle Communications.